it's great to be here tonight, and, and I'm so excited about what God is going to do here tonight. If you have your Bibles, let's just jump into the Word. I'm going to read from a portion of Scripture in Luke chapter number 19, starting with verse number 1, and then we're going to read uh, to verse number 9. If, if we have that on the screen, we're going to turn and read that right now. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I, I wish that spirit would get on the IRS to, tonight. <laughs> Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus, in your name, we're so thankful for your presence that we've already felt here tonight. We're so thankful for your spirit that has already touched me in my life. And, and I just believe tonight that you want to do something special in the house. I just pray tonight that as we learn more about your word, that we would open our hearts and open our minds to what you want to do in us, but not just in us, Jesus, what you want to do through us. We thank you for what you're going to do here tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. amen. Now, you don't have to raise your, your hand here tonight. In fact, a, a head nod would be sufficient. But how many have ever been sitting at home and, and you're excited about doing nothing? It's been a long week. It's been a crazy week. And, and you're excited about not hanging out with anybody, just, just sitting at home. You got your Netflix show. No one's going to bother you. But right before you get into the show, you, you just decide to check Instagram. And you get on Instagram and, and something strange happens. Even though you hadn't wanted to hang out with anyone else, you, you notice that on Instagram, some people that you thought were your friends, some people that, that you thought you were close to are hanging out without you. Anybody ever, ever, ever been there? You, it's a Friday night, you're sitting at home, you're about to start a, the big game or, or watch a movie, but right before you do, you, you get on Snapchat or, or, or Facebook and you get on Twitter and, and all of a sudden it's, it's real strange because you see some people that were, they were supposed to be your friends. They were supposed to be your boy or your girl and, and you look on, on social media and, and a strange thing is happening, they didn't invite you. And it's real weird because you, you realize that the last time that you hung out, the last time that you went somewhere, you invited them. 
because they're your friends and that's what friends do. But for some reason on this night, um, they, they decided not to hang out with you. And social media only makes this work. Uh, you know, just the other night, me and my wife were sitting at home and we have two amazing boys and it was, it was Friday night. And how many know that when you get married, your life changes a little bit? When we were in Bible college, uh, we went to this school and, and this choir would sing this song. They, they would say, I don't walk like I used to walk. I don't talk like I used to talk. And then all the sopranos and the altos would sing, what a change. Yeah, coming to Jesus like getting married. I don't walk like I used to talk. <laughs> what a change. <laughs> and so I'm sitting at home on a Friday night when I would have been out with my friends and, and, you know, having a good time. But we're sitting at home and we're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and we're watching about Kansas City Mickey. And if you don't know about Kansas City Mickey, he, he's the hero who will go anywhere. He's the hero who plays fair and square. It's... Kansas City Mickey. I could sing the whole song, but, but I won't. And we're sitting at home, and we're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and, and I get on Instagram, and there's a wedding going on. And I'm like, well, that's, that's strange. So I asked my wife, I'm like, did, did we get an invite to the wedding? And she's like, Philip, you don't ever really even talk to these people. I'm like, that's not the point. I need to know, did we get an invite to the wedding? She's like, Philip, you've told me you don't even like them. I'm like, Annie. You're missing the point. This is not what this is about. I need to know whether or not we were invited to the party. And, and social media, like I said, it makes this worse. And I have to be honest and transparent here today. I, I did something a while back I should have never done. And I'm only telling you about it just to you know, be honest with you. But if you want to know more about this app that I'm going to tell you about, you, you need to go through Pastor Brandon and get his permission. Because once you do this, you can't go back. It's like opening... Pandora's box, but somebody told me about an app that you can get that lets you know when someone unfollows you. Oh, yeah. It's only the narcissistic people in the room that really want the app, and I knew better than to get this app, but I downloaded it, and I'm like, I didn't even open it. I was just like, you know what? It's, it's too much power for one person, and I don't I don't need this in my life. And then it had been like a month, and I'm like, you know what, but let's just, let's just see. And I, and I opened the app, and, and lo and behold, someone who I thought was my friend, they unfollowed me. Can, can you believe this? Look, I, honestly, I was really heartbroken, and I thought to myself, like, you, you didn't have to end it like this. It didn't have to be so harsh. Like, like just hit me up on the side on the down low and, and just let me know that I'm posting too many videos of Brady and Dean, like too many Instagram stories. But you don't have to, you don't have to unfollow me. It, it didn't have to be like that. And, you know, in this age and, and era of social media, I, I've been to conferences and I've heard sermons and I, I love good preaching. I love going places that where they preach the word. And, and so many times I hear th these, these mega church pastors and they'll preach and they're like, don't get your identity in social media. You know, you, you, you just can't let uh, social media really form your, your self-image. And, and it's no big deal. In fact, if someone follows you, it's no big deal. And, and I'm sitting there in the crowd. I'm like, that's easy for you to say. You've got 100,000 followers. I, I've got 50. If I lose a follower, it's a big deal, bro. I, I don't want to hear you preaching about it. In fact, you wouldn't even know if someone unfollowed you until you lost 1,000 followers. You're like on 101K. Like, you don't even know until 1,000 people unfollow you. But 
You know, here's what I love about God. And here's what I love about his house. And here's what I love about his people. That you might have walked into this place here tonight and maybe you feel like you don't get the invite to the party. You might have walked into this place here tonight and somebody's just unfollowed you on social media. You, you, you might have walked in and, and you feel like nobody knows you. Or, or maybe even worse than that, you've walked into the building and, and you feel like people know you, but they don't care about you. Can I tell you tonight, the God that I serve, the God that I know, the God that I love, he's the God that, that is standing on the porch waiting for the sun to come home. He's the God that, that leaves the 99 safe sheep to go find the one that was lost. He's the God that will sweep through the house to find that lost, precious coin. The God that I serve and the God that I love He's not afraid of your issues or your insecurities or whether or not you have an app that lets you know when people unfollow you on social media. He just simply wants you to come home. And so many times the system of this world tells us that, that we have to do to get, that we have to prove ourselves before we can move on in life. But Jesus came to turn the world upside down through grace to let us know that you don't have to do to get, that you do because you get. That, that you don't have to give to receive, you give because you've already received. And this thing that we do, this Christian life that we live, is not the reason for the gospel, but it's a response to the gospel. It's a response to what God has done for us in our lives. Jesus simply came to show us a better way. He, he, he didn't come to, to be a subculture of society. The church is not meant to be a subculture culture of society, but it's meant to be counterculture to society. Jesus came to include and not exclude. And tonight, I just believe that there's two types of people that are here in the room, a person that either needs to be included or a person that needs to include someone else. And here's what I believe that this journey, this Christian life, this thing that we're a part of, it's meant to be with others. And if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you go with someone. And I just believe that there's a beautiful depiction of this principle on display in this story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he challenges thinking and he exemplifies what it means to be a part of the community that he wants us to have. And this is where we jump into this story. And here's the backstory to this. Jesus is starting to attract an unsavory crowd. In fact, the, the portion of scripture that we just read tells us that, that they use the term notorious sinner. He's starting to attract people that don't have their life together. He, he's building a community of people that don't have their life all together. But here's the, the, the thing that he wants to show us. That this is the community and this is the type of community that he wants us to have. And I just imagine that this is how the story goes, that Jesus is walking through the crowd. And how many know that, that Jesus is not afraid of the crowd? In fact, in, when we see Jesus in the Bible, there's almost always a crowd. And here's what I believe that church is supposed to be like. There's always supposed to be a crowd at church. We're not afraid of the crowd. In fact, this is why we have lights and we have stage and we want to get everything right and perfect. We want to attract a crowd. But even though a crowd is always following Jesus, Jesus loves the crowd. He likes the crowd, but he's always there for the one. 
And that's what church is supposed to be. We're supposed to draw a crowd. We're supposed to have excitement and buzz. And even though we love the crowd, we like the crowd, we are always here for the one. And I just believe that Zacchaeus was there for the crowd. I believe that Zacchaeus had heard about this thing that was happening and heard about who Jesus was and just wanted to go see what this thing was all about. He wanted to see the energy. He wanted to see the crowd. He wanted to see the buzz. And how many know that that, that crowd is always going to draw people? The crowd always draws people, but the crowd is not what makes people stay. That relationship is the thing that makes people stick around. This is why we believe in powerful, dynamic, amazing services. But without relationship, there is no life change. That life moves at the speed of relationships, and relationships only happen through intentionality. And this is what Jesus shows us in this story. If you're taking notes, point number one is simply this. Jesus calls you by your name. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and at this moment in the story, this is not the greatest job to have. If Zacchaeus was at the party, everybody's hanging out. Zacchaeus walks in. He's meeting somebody new. They say, hey, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a tax collector. There's not a follow-up question like, oh, that's, that's awesome. What, what are the benefits like? Like, what is tax season like? Is that a, is that a good job to have? No, no, th that's not the follow-up. In fact, this is what they're saying. Get out, bro. You're not, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome in this place. And Because here's what Zacchaeus was at this moment in the story. Let me just give you some background. There's two teams in this story, and it's the Jews and the Romans. And Zacchaeus had been a part of the Jews, but he felt like the Romans were winning, and so he switched teams. So, so you know what Zacchaeus was? He was a bandwagon fan. Can I tell you, this is the problem with society in America. You might have your own ideas, but we got way too many bandwagon fans. Some of you feel real conviction in the house, and I know because just recently, like two years ago, like you were really big like LeBron fans and now the same people you got on your Steph Curry jerseys and you're like, oh, I love the Warriors. This is what Zacchaeus was. He, he, he was a bandwagon fan, but much worse than that, he was a guy that betrayed his friends, betrayed his family. And my best example would be like ISIS coming into America, setting up shop, and Zacchaeus saying, you know what, I, I want to help them. I'm not only am I going to help them, I'm going to benefit from cheating my friends and cheating my family. I think it's safe to say that at this moment in the story, Zacchaeus is the worst. That at this moment, we look at Zacchaeus' life and he's not a great dude and he was viewed as sinful and, and most likely at this stage of his life, he was embracing the image. And not only was he a sinful man, but the Bible tells us that he was short. And this meant a lot in those days. In fact, Saul was chosen to be king just because he was head and shoulders taller than everyone. <laughs> Who's the tallest guy? You get to be king. Your height was many times a big factor in regards to respect for a man. Side note. I'm 5'11 and a half. When, this is tough for me to talk about. When I was 13 years old, I was 5'11 and a half. And I don't know why God 
stunted my growth and I'm working through it. I, I've been praying. My wife is not helping me, but, but it's something I'm getting through. But there's a few things that are working against our, our, our buddy Zacchaeus. So he's sinful, he's short, but then the Bible says that he's rich. And my dad always used to say that it's better to be rich and unhappy than just unhappy. <laughs> and I think Zacchaeus at this moment in the story had really embraced that mentality. I think if we were to ask Zacchaeus about his life, he, he probably was not a happy guy. He probably was a guy that he was rich and he had experienced an element of success, but he feels limited physically by something he can't control, his height, and he feels limited spiritually by something he could control, and that's his sinful lifestyle. But I love what happens next. I love what happens next in the story because Jesus shows up and he does something that changes everything. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his name. Jesus could have called him by, by anything. He, he could have called him by what other people knew him to be. A cheater, a liar, a bandwagon fan, sinner, short, rich, tree climber. He could have called him by any of those things, but he shows up on the scene and he calls him by his name. And this is significant because of what calling someone by their name implies. It implies that you know them. Psychologists tell us something incredibly significant happens in our brains when we hear our name and when we say someone else's name. When we're born, the name given to us becomes our tag, the, the thing that our parents use when they want to get our attention to come, stop, act, or listen. They will use our name. Our siblings start next. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, then our friends and teachers. And at every stage of life, our brain registers that when someone uses our name, that they know us. It's ingrained in us that when someone calls our name, that we turn our attention to who is calling our name. And in one moment, here's what Jesus was doing. In one moment, Jesus changed the whole script of the story because Jesus shows up on the scene and he calls Zacchaeus by his name. And here's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, Zacchaeus, I know you. I know everything about you. I know your deepest, darkest secret. I know your mistakes. I know your failures. And guess what? I still want to hang out with you. Zacchaeus, you didn't know me. You didn't know what this whole thing was about. But, but I want you to know that I know the worst thing about you. And I want a relationship with you today. Here's what you need to know if you're new to this whole Christianity thing. Or if you've been in church your entire life. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He, he knows the thing about you that you wish no one else knew. He, he knows your biggest mistake. He knows your biggest failure. But he's standing here today at City Hills on a Saturday night and he's calling you by your name. And he's calling you by your name to let you know that he knows everything about you. But he wants a relationship with you here today. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't call us by our sin. He doesn't call us by, by what other people know us to be, but he shows up on the scene of our life and calls us by our name. Point number two is simply this. Jesus throws the best surprise parties. When me and my wife got married, I, I was 29 years old, and in the first few months of marriage, I, it was great, it was amazing, but I remember talking to my wife, and, 
And I said, you know, I'm going to be 30 this year. I, I, think I, <clears throat> I think I want to party. Um, no big deal, but, you know, it doesn't have to be a surprise or anything. I just think I've, I'm only going to be 30 once. Not too big to ask. I think I can have a party. And my wife said, okay. And then we moved on. And I thought, I'm sure she took note of what I said. I'm not sure that she did, but I'm going to trust that she did. And as we got closer to my 30th birthday... I began to get a little nervous, and so a few days before, I asked my wife, I said, hey, um, <clears throat> uh, what, what are we doing for my birthday, um, you know, <laughs> my 30th, <laughs> and she said, well, she said, I think we're going to go eat with my parents for your birthday, and I was like, <clears throat> that's not what I had in mind when it came to partying. <laughs> I love your parents sometimes, <laughs> but, but it's my 30th. <laughs> I was hurt. I'm just going to be honest. And I remember as we were leaving the house that night, I, I was trying to hide, you know, that I, I was a little hurt. And I, I should have known because when we were leaving the house that night, my wife told me, she said, hey, be sure and wear something classy tonight. I'm like, well, that's a strange thing to say. I always wear something classy. <laughs> I should have known that was the cue. And I, I remember we drove up to her house to meet her parents and then we were going to go eat somewhere. And I remember driving up and seeing all the cars, and I knew. I knew, she had pulled a trick on me. Honestly, she, she did a little mean, like she didn't have to be so secretive. She could have given me some hints, you know, along the way, but I, I was really conflicted. I, I felt really bad for getting my feelings hurt and, and you know, like caring what other you know, people were gonna do about my 30th birthday, and then, and then really overjoyed that all my friends were gonna be there for my 30th birthday. But how many times had Zacchaeus, at this moment in the story, not been invited to a party? How many times had he been avoided? How many times had, had there been invites going around at class for the party after school, but Zacchaeus wasn't included? How many times, worst of all, than not being invited to the party, how many times was he not the reason for a party? And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and he flips the script and he says, guess what, guys? Zacchaeus, I got a surprise for you. You came here and you thought the party was for somebody else. You, you came to see what the noise was all about. You, you came to see what the excitement was all about. But guess what, Zacchaeus? The party is for you. You, you didn't know you just came to see. In fact, you climbed up in a sycamore fig tree to, to find out what this whole church thing was about, what, what this whole God thing was about, to, to see how good the people could sing and the preacher could preach. But here's what I want you to know tonight. Zacchaeus, guess what? The party is for you. And here's what Jesus wants us to know through this story, that nobody is too far gone. No sin is bigger than Jesus. No habit, no hang up, no mistake. Can I tell you today that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Jesus was showing us that although Zacchaeus had some junk in his life, he didn't identify him with what he had done. He identified him with who he was. And Zacchaeus was no doubt a guy with dreams, ambitions, hopes, and desires, a guy with some, some hurts and habits and some hang-ups. And, and maybe if we knew it, I bet we would find out that Zacchaeus had a pretty crazy story. Because here's what I've learned in life, that if you can be quiet long enough, that if you can get off social media long enough and listen, that everyone has a story to tell. 
Tonight, we could bring each and every person up on this stage, and if you begin to tell your story of what you came through, if you begin to tell your story of what you had to overcome, if you begin to tell your story of what happened in your life and, and that you're still here, I think we would all sit in the crowd and we would say, no way. H how did you make it? H how did you make it to this moment in life? You survived that and you're still standing? You survived that and you're still here? We could bring each and every person up on this stage and we would say the same thing. How did you survive and how did you make it. Can I tell you tonight that if you're in the house, that if you're here tonight on a Saturday night at City Hills in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, we celebrate you. We affirm you. We're so proud you are here. You didn't have to be here, but on a Saturday night, you got up, you got up in a sycamore fig tree and you said, I'm going to be in the house of God. As a youth pastor from Houston, Texas, I affirm you. Thank you for making it to this moment in life. Thank you for getting to this place. You've overcome some crazy stuff, but on a Saturday night, you're here in the house of God. I celebrate you. I affirm you. You are awesome for being in the house of God. Because here's what I believe. You don't have to believe to belong. Wait, wait a second, Pastor. Uh, we've all got our beliefs. We've all got our doctrines. We've, we've all got our things that we believe, and that's great. But here's what I believe. This is my core belief that, that you don't have to believe like I believe, but if you hang around just long enough, that if you meet the Jesus that I know, if, if you meet the Jesus that I love, it won't be long before you believe like I believe. I don't have to convince you what I believe. I've just got to get you to Jesus. We've got to be a church and people that quit trying to convince people of what we believe and just get them to Jesus. Look, if you can get past the crowd, if you can get in the sycamore fig tree and meet the Jesus that I know, your life won't stay the same. It can't stay the same. I just believe that if you meet the Jesus that I meet, you won't stay the same and we're just happy tonight that you climbed up in a sycamore fig tree and I, I got a surprise for you the party's for you you didn't know it you, you, you came for maybe different reasons you came for the crowd or you came to see what the the worship was going to be like or what the preacher was going to be like but Jesus wants you to know that the party is for you as a minister as someone that, that lives to serve, I, I feel like the guy at the, at the party, like the giddy guy that's standing beside the door. And I can't wait for you to open the door because when you realize what's on the other side, when you realize that the party is for you, I'm just standing here in the door like, bro, if you, just, if you can just open that door, you don't even know. You, you were just walking home on a regular day. You didn't know what was going to happen. But when you walk through the door, you're going to realize that God has had a plan for you your entire life, that you didn't know what the plan was. But when you open that door, Jesus shows up and says, surprise, I've had a plan all along. Surprise, the party is for you. And I know that this is a church of next steps. I know that this is a church that affirms and celebrates people in their journey. And here's what I say, whatever your next step is, whatever the next thing is that you're going to do in life, we celebrate you. Thank you for taking a journey. Thank you for taking the next step. We love you. We link arms with you. And we say we're going to get through life together, that we're in this journey together. We're going to make it because this is the community that Jesus wants us to have. Point number three is this. 
Jesus calls us to community. And I have in parentheses, but community isn't always comfortable. My dad used to always say that if you want to get rid of all the problems in your church, it's really easy. Just get rid of all the people. It'll sink in in a second. People are difficult. Relationships are messy. You're going to get dirty. You're going to be a little uneasy. In fact, when you meet new people and you establish new relationships, some weird things happen. They begin to challenge you on what you believe since you were a child. I would argue today that as Christians, as Jesus followers, that our biggest purpose and our biggest mission is to simply be community facilitators. That yes, community isn't easy. Yes, community is hard, but it's worth it. You may or may not know this, and I have a personality that loves to hang out, loves to talk, loves to meet new people, but even I get a little bit of anxiety when I meet new people. You ever had that moment when you meet someone, you're like, don't say anything dumb, don't say anything dumb, don't say anything dumb. I just said something dumb. You meet new people, it really does something to you. It stretches you and it gets you out of your comfort zone. New relationships always happen outside of your comfort zone, but do you want to know where faith thrives? Do you want to know where faith lives? Right outside of your comfort zone. New relationships and community are always outside of your comfort zone, but that's exactly where faith thrives. And if you're going to live a life of faith, you're going to have to be a person that goes outside of your comfort zone to make new relationships. Tonight, I want to close by talking to two different types of people in the room. That if we were to poll each and every person in the room and ask them, how do you feel about City Hills that the first type of person would say, this is my home, this is my house, this is my people, this is where I belong, and this is my place. And I would say to you, that's awesome. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you feel at home, but I challenge you today because I'm challenging myself that, that here's my challenge, that if you wanna live a life of faith, that if you wanna live a life of purpose, you have to go outside of your comfort zone. And you go outside of your comfort zone by going all in to bring community to someone's life. I've been reading a book by Louis Giglio. It's an amazing book, and it's called Goliath Must Fall. And I read this portion of the book, and it's, it's stayed with me. I can't get away from it. And, and I'm just going to quote this portion of the book because I believe that this is the mission of all of us as Christians. He says this, life is short, but God is big. Life is short, but God is big. Remind yourself whenever you have to repeat these phrases, they're, they're huge in weight and meaning. And as you, you say this over and over, you'll, you'll hear voices joining in with you. And this is who you will hear saying it back to you. The soul winner. The martyr who's given his life uh, the church planner who could choose a more comfortable way. 
the prayer warrior, the compassionate person who sells his own stuff to provide for the less fortunate, the teacher who pours her heart into everything she can with her students, the chaplain who cares for the dying with hope and dignity, the therapist and the doctor and the surgeon who reflect Jesus in all that they do, the pastor, the youth pastor, the associate pastor, the lead pastor, the missions pastor, the administrative pastor, the children's pastor who live well, love the truth, and care for people. The business leader who works honestly and refuses to take all the profits. The, the blue collar worker who does his work as an act of worship. The mother, the father, the single parent, the grandmother and the grandfather and anyone who shows the love of Jesus. The ones who have gone on before, this is what they're saying. Life is short but God is big. Life is short, but God is big. And I just believe that if they could talk to us here tonight, they wouldn't say, hey, convince people that you're right. Convince people that you've got the best church. Convince people that, that you've got all the answer. Argue over doctrine and rules. No, this is what they would say. Go all in for community. They would say, take someone to lunch. They would say, text someone Call someone because if you can just get people to Jesus, if you can just get them to Jesus, he's going to take care of the rest. I would argue today that it might even be better sometimes to ask someone to lunch before you invite them to church. Because here's the result of a lunch in Luke chapter number 19. Zacchaeus says after this lunch, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be the same. I'm going to be better than I was. If I've hurt anyone, I'm going to pay them back. If I've stolen from anyone, I'm going to give them back four times as much. If I can convince you to love Jesus and get people to Jesus, he's going to take care of the rest. Because when you meet the Jesus that I know, when you meet the Jesus that I love, you don't have to worry about the rest. Tonight, now I want to talk to the people who maybe you feel like you don't belong. Maybe you feel like you, you don't belong anywhere. Maybe you showed up tonight, you're depressed. Maybe you showed up tonight and you're fighting suicide. Maybe you showed up tonight and your marriage is on the rocks. The one person that you should and could count on is the person that doesn't have your back. Maybe you've walked in this room and you feel like nobody knows, and worse than that, you feel like they don't care. Can I tell you tonight that Jesus cares? That Jesus knows. He knows everything about you, and he's the, he's the God that is standing here today. And he sees you in that sycamore fig tree, and he's saying, come on down. I've got to come to your house today. I've got to have a relationship with you today. Let's all stand. When I was 15 years old, my dad was a pastor of a church in a, in a storefront. Amazing guy, church planner, gave his life to God. When I was 15 years old, he, he became sick with cancer and I watched over the course of the next four to five years as he began to lose his life slowly. And it came to the day when my dad eventually passed away and 
I remember something happened after he passed away. I began to walk into rooms and where I'd walked in before, my dad would be with me and my dad was an amazing dad. He would affirm me and I'd walk in by his side and we'd meet someone and he'd say, this is my son. He, he's really good at basketball or this is my son. He, he really loves God. He loves church or this is my son, man. He, he's a great guy. All of a sudden, he was gone and I began to walk into rooms and I wouldn't feel at home. I'd walk in and I, I wouldn't have that affirmation in my life. I, I'd walk in and I would feel out of place. But here's what began to happen in my life. That was 14 years ago. As I've gone on this journey of faith, as, I, as I've lived a life of faith and I've been through ups and downs and, and the thing that hurt the most in my life, I look back on that moment and here's what I've realized is the thing that that hurt so bad when I would walk into rooms is really the thing that God wanted me to use to bring to other people. The thing that had brought so much pain into my life, I, I felt out of place, I, I lacked identity and, and affirmation. What I realized over time is that God wanted to bring purpose into my life and when people walked in the room that I would see that person that would walk in and maybe they didn't lose their dad but maybe they had been through abuse. I would see that person walk in and, and maybe they hadn't lost their dad, but they were battling depression and they didn't have friends at school. And I realized over time that the thing that was my biggest struggle in life became the thing that I was supposed to bring to someone else. My purpose began to be to bring community to people that were hurting and that were lost. Today, if you're in the house and you feel at home, I challenge you bring community to someone's life. Today, if you're in the house and you don't feel at home, I challenge you to let Jesus bring community into your life. Jesus, in your name, we're so thankful for your presence. We're so thankful that you see us in our deepest, darkest sin. You see us in our worst moment, but you call us by our name. You call us by who we are, and we are a child of God. We are your child, and you've been looking, you've been waiting, you've been searching for us to come home. And in this moment, I just believe there's someone here that wants to come home. They've been hanging back. They've been feeling like nobody wants them around. But this is a community of believers that says you are welcome with open arms. We don't care about your past. We don't care about your failures. But we want to be the community that Jesus has called us to be. Jesus, in this moment, we commit. I'm so thankful for this church and this house. I'm thankful for what I feel. But I just say as a body of believers, I don't really know a lot of people here. But I say with affirmation, we commit to building our life on your word so that we can help bring community to a lost and dying world, that we can help bring community to a city that's in need of a savior, not a city that's in need of a church or, or a church sign or a logo, but you're, you're coming to find a city that's in need of you. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done in the house. I thank you that you're not finished with us yet. And if we've made mistakes along the way today, we can turn from those mistakes. If we've messed up along the way, you're still calling us to more. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done here in this house. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen.